Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles, open up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, and I'll read verses 4 through 7 for us now as we prepare to hear from Rich Sylvester as he kicks off our new sermon series where we look at restored relationships. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. A few weeks ago, uh, we celebrated the birthday of my youngest son. He turns 12. And whenever I'm celebrating one of my boy's birthdays, I'm immediately transported back to those moments in the delivery room where I, I held those little babies for the first time. And I admit, when I take myself back to that place, I remember lots of silly sort of questions that went through my head, like, I wonder how tall they'll grow up to be, or I wonder what sports they'll play. Oh, please let them be a New York Giants fan. I can't have a Cowboys fan in my house. But really, as I, I held those little babies, I just thought, oh, I hope they know Jesus. And I hope Jesus will know them. Of all the, the questions and the thoughts and the things I wondered about the future of my boys' lives, I just wondered, would they know Jesus? And would he know them? This week, as I, I read through the book of Deuteronomy several times in preparing for this sermon, I, I kept noticing these phrases that would jump off the page. Moses writes Deuteronomy and he says things like, your children's children, or your sons and your sons' sons. It seems like Moses is thinking forward to the next generation. Moses is, is wondering, will those babies amongst the people of Israel, will they know God and will he know them I imagine that as Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, he, he walked about amongst the people of Israel, grabbing their babies like I held mine in the delivery rooms and just said, oh, would God know you and would you know God? Yes, it seems that as we come to the book of Deuteronomy and, and here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we, we see this call where Moses says a, a faithful family is a formational family. That a faithful family is a formational family. That Moses is, is thinking, how can we help these little babies among us know God and that God would know them. And his principle is that a faithful family is a formational family. Now, now this year since September, we've been working through the theme of restoration. Asking the question of how does God move his people from disruption and destruction to restoration and now in January through the season of Lent next month, we'll be looking at restored relationships. 
about what God says about relationships. And specifically, we're going to look at, at the relationship of parenting. Now, as I say that out loud, I know that some of us have kids living in our home and, and some of us don't. Some of us have grandkids living in our home and some of us don't. Even now I look out, I see some grandmothers with some granddaughters and, and there's kids in our lives. But as I back up a little bit, I want us to all consider this idea of family. That when we say a faithful family is a formational family, I'm not just talking about the homes that we live in. One of my favorite passages of scripture is found in the Gospels. Three Gospel writers record the same story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record a story where Jesus is in a house teaching He's sitting there teaching a group of people, his disciples, and, and it's crowded. The house is filled. Even the, the courtyard outside of the home is filled. And scripture tells us that Jesus' mother and brother and sisters show up to talk to Jesus. But they can't get to him. There's too many people. They can't press through. And so they tap on somebody's shoulder and they say, hey, can you tell Jesus his family is here? I imagine it, it sort of becomes a game of telephone, right? Somebody taps on the shoulder in front of them. Hey, Jesus' family is here. They want him. They tap on the shoulder in front of them. What? Huh? Jesus' family is here. They want him. And it's slowly that message moves its way to the front where some brave soul has to interrupt Jesus' teaching and go, uh, Jesus? Yes? Your family wants you. They're out back. And you'd think at that moment that Jesus would say, oh, Hold on, everybody. Family's outside. Mom, brother, and sisters, I'll be right back. But Jesus, in that moment, does something extraordinary. He pauses and he says, Who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? And then he says, Everyone who does the will of my father is my mother and my brother and my sisters. That's an extraordinary truth if we let that seep into our minds for a moment. That the little kids, some screaming and some sprinting and some walking, that just left the room, they are our kids. They are our sons and our daughters. That when Moses gathers the community of faith in Deuteronomy 6, he doesn't just say, hey, I want to think about the kids, and so moms and dads come here. No, he says, no, I want to think about the kids. So moms and dads and grandparents and neighbors and teachers and friends and couples that don't have kids and, and couples that may be trying to have kids and everybody, older brothers and younger brothers, and every, come here, I, I need to talk to you all. And I want to talk to you about our children, our kids, our sons, our daughters. That even as we think of baptism on this season of epiphany, what do we say when somebody's baptized? We say, welcome to the family. That as we consider parenting, there will be moments where I think through practical realities for, for those in our, of us in our, that have kids in our homes, but there are also practical realities for all of us that call the chapel home because all those little kids that just scampered out, 
They're all ours. They're all our kids. And Moses says that a faithful family is a formational family. And so he gathers the people of Israel together and he says these famous words. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now again, there are pages and pages of commentaries written about these verses. This is a central verse to the Jewish faith. This is a central verse to the Old Testament. But if, if we can today, I want to think through it of the, through the lens of parenting, through a, a, chur, a church family, a, a spiritual family that's considering how do we pass on our faith to the next generation Moses says a faithful family is a foundational family. Moses says we have to be all in. Summarizing these verses, Moses says we have to love God with total commitment, our hearts, total self, our souls, to total excess, our strength. One commentator wrote, Moses is talking about over-the-top love. Moses says we must love God. But of course, Moses often uses the word love and obey interchangeably. In the verses that Lila read, in these verses it says, be careful to do all that the Lord has commanded be careful to obey every statute and decree that loving God and obeying God become very much the same thing. Jesus, in John chapter 14, he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So as Moses considers the next generation, as he considers how can our children and our children's children enjoy the favor of God, live in that land, enjoy long life, how can they fear him and know him? He says, well, then we must love God completely ourselves. We must obey God completely ourselves. We must be faithful ourselves because a faithful family is a formational family. And so as I considered these things in studying Deuteronomy chapter 6, I just kept asking myself the question, what does a faithful family look like? Not only my immediate family in my home, my wife Susie and my three boys, but what does it look like to be a faithful chapel family whose kids grow up to know him to know Jesus and Jesus would know them. And if we look, we can see some very practical application that Moses gives us. The first is Moses says, you must, you must teach the law diligently. The first part of verse seven says, you shall teach them diligently to your children that we must teach the things of God diligently to our children. 
Now certainly as Moses writes this, there are priests and Levites who are are taking on the role of teaching the law. But Moses gathers the whole community and says, everyone's a teacher. One commentator writes, the topic of the law was to be the topic of ordinary conversation in ordinary homes, in ordinary life that everyone in Israel became a teacher. Yet we are all teachers. Now now speaking very practically as as a a dad at home with three boys, I admit that that sometimes that seems like a, a daunting reality even for a pastor. What does that look like to teach the law to my kids? I always found it very awkward at dinner time when my dad would pull out a Bible and start reading it to us all. It felt almost unnatural at times. What? The Bible's coming out? What's happening? I thought dinner was over. Do I have to finish my tomatoes? I don't really like them. But this is so important. It's so important that we bring God's law into our homes. That we don't wait and let only church teach our kids or private school teach our kids. But that as parents, we become teachers of the things of God The reason in part is because there's other gods out there. Lesser gods made up gods. At the end of the verses we read this this morning, in verses 13 and 14, we read, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. Sort of in this time, every people group had, had gods, different ethnicities had gods, different countries had gods. There was gods of sun and gods of the moon and gods of the fields, gods of nature, gods of the harvest. And people would serve these different gods. Now, if, if I polled everyone in my neighborhood, I'm not sure any of them are, are worshiping sun gods or river gods or anything like that. But there are certainly many other gods around But remember, Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He is the only God, the uncreated God, the true God. God shows up to his people and says, There is one real God, and that God is me. Yet I know there are so many gods around in our society the God of ambition that drives us to ask, what can I achieve with my life? The God of perfection that's asking us, how can I be better? How good can I be? The God of performance, how successful am I? The God of appearance shows up every day when we look in the mirror. How good-looking am I? The God of approval makes us wonder what everybody around us thinks of us. The God of materialism constantly beckoning us to buy more and have more. The God of happiness that continually makes us ask, 
How can I be more happy? What makes me feel good? These gods are swirling around. And so as parents, as a family of faith, we must show up in our kids' lives and teach them diligently of the one true God. Because in their lives, in all of our lives, what we'll need more than anything is not the God that we made up, but the God who made us. Not the God that we created, but the God who created us. One of the ways that Susie and I think about this in our home is we often ask ourselves, what things are we celebrating? Often we we celebrate in a home the things that we hold to highest value. And we think through that and we wrestle with that because we want to celebrate our kids' successes, right? One of my sons has been trying desperately to get a state cut in swimming. And yesterday at a meet, he he made it. He made it to states. And I want to celebrate his hard work and I want to celebrate his success but I won't, don't want him to think that those are the gods that drive his life. No, I want to make sure that in our home we're celebrating selflessness, generosity, and humility. Sometimes when Susie and I step back in our life, we're we realizing we're celebrating all these things that are, that are gods in our community and not the one true God that created us. So maybe a practical question to ask yourselves today is what do we celebrate in our homes? But if we consider teaching diligently our kids, I guess as a chapel family, I'm going to make a shameless plug for children's ministry. We need you. These kids need you. These parents like me need you. I think of some of the teachers out here that are pouring into our kids' lives. I see some of the Julian girls over there, and I think of their mom, Anne, that has written a birthday card to every kindergartner at the chapel for, what, 30 years? It's amazing. I think of (laughs) Grandma and Grandpa Carlin that are probably in the red room in the nursery hallway right now that are, are holding kids of kids they held when they were babies. And, and there's so many, I can't say them all, and somebody's feeling left out already, and I'm sorry, but we need you in children's ministry. You know, a, a couple years ago, Susie and I read a book called Sticky Faith. It's a book that, that takes a longitudinal look at, at a kid's faith journey. And uh, so many books these days are writing about why do kids give up their faith, right? There's a big trend of kids that go off to college and they sort of leave their faith behind, Those are okay questions to ask, but what I liked about the book Sticky Faith is it followed kids that held on to their faith, that that kept following Jesus through college and into adulthood. And it, it, it asked the question, what was different about those kids' lives? And this whole book got simmered down to really one point. And the point was this, they called it the five to one ratio. That for every kid, there was five adults that were pouring into that kid's life. Five adults that when they showed up to church on Sunday knew that kid by name and would ask them questions about their life. Susie and I are only two adults for my kids. I see Susie's parents. We're grateful to have grandparents that live a couple doors down. There's four adults, but I need five. 
So our small group friends pour into our kids' lives and we pour into theirs. And and our student ministries staff pours into our kids' lives and, and we're grateful for that. But one of the coolest things I think about kids joining us for worship these days, for being a part of our worship service, is it gives all of us an opportunity to meet them and to know them and to know their name. How cool would it be with those little kids that just scampered out of here if when they scampered in here at the beginning of this service, a whole bunch of people came up to them and said, hey, Jack, how are you today? I'm so glad you're here. Hey, Mary, how was uh, the polar plunge at First Colony last week? I heard you were going to jump in the river. What if we all knew the kids within our chapel family? What if we were willing to serve one service in children's ministry and worship at another A faithful family is a formative family. And so we must teach our kids diligently. But Moses clarifies too, and he goes on in chapter seven, or verse seven, and he says, and talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So we don't just teach our kids the law, but as a faith family, we need to be talking purposefully about the law. We talk about the things of God when we're at home and when we're going on the way, when we go to bed and when we wake up. It's a, it's a conversation that's constantly happening in our lives. It's why we get so excited about people joining a small group study. Because when we study scripture together, we understand it better. When we ask scripture to identify realities in our life, we're often not the greatest judge of that, right? If we asked ourselves, do I live a generous life? We'd probably answer the question, yes, I'm a generous guy. But maybe if we asked our friends in small group, do you think I'm generous? They'd have the courage to say, Rich, you're the stingiest guy I know. We need to be talking about these things in community with one another. And as parents, one of our favorite principles around here is we need to be natural in the spiritual and spiritual in the natural. We need to be natural in the spiritual and spiritual in the natural. Let let me... uh, back up from that point for just a minute because um, a couple years ago we we hosted one of our chapel family parenting uh, conferences and we're going to do that again in April this year but we invited people from our community to come and help us put on a parenting conference to think about uh, topics that were important to our kids to our parents And uh, one of the speakers that I invited uh, is a professor at William & Mary. He's in my small group. He has a PhD in educational psychology. He loves to think about the way people learn and, and what motivates them and what really triggers change in their life when they're learning things. And in his breakout session that he entitled Nature First Nurture, he asked the parents that were attending a question. He said, what do you think influences your kids more? experiences that they have without you outside the home or experiences that they have with you inside the home. So he said, what what influences kids more? The things that happen when they're away from you 
or when they're with you? And of course, every parent answers, well, when they're with us, right? I mean, we got to keep our kids close. They always got to be with us. We got to make sure they're always with us. And and he sort of had a trick question because he said, actually, all the research shows that what impacts our kids the most is when they have experiences away from us, but we talk about it with them in our homes. That when they have experiences outside of the home, away from us, that if we bring those experiences into the house and debrief them with our kids, it'll actually be more impactful in the long run in their life. We're taking the natural things that are going on in their life and we're bringing in the spiritual into it in the comfort of our homes. We're helping them experience these things out there and then debrief them in our homes with us. I remember 17 years ago when I was getting ready to be a dad for the first time, I actually went to Ted Cornell. I said, I like Ted's kids. Ted and Sandra seem to be great parents. I said, Ted, tell me a secret of parenting. And he said, don't ever stop talking to your kids. Now, I didn't know what that would mean as a dad I hadn't had yet, but now I know that it means that when my son gets home at 1130 at night and I've been asleep for two hours already, And he wakes me up because teenage boys are anything but quiet or thinking about anybody else in the home at that moment. And he walks in the room to dock his cell phone because it's not allowed in his bedroom. And he goes, are you awake? The answer is, yes, I'm awake. Because I don't ever want to stop talking to my kids. And I want to take the experience that they just had out in the world without me and I want to help them integrate God's principles into their life so they can mash those two together. We need to talk purposefully with our kids. We need to talk purposefully with each other. We need to be studying God's word in groups. We need to be thinking through how God's word applies to our lives and how we can take our lives and mold it to God's word And so when Moses says a faithful family is a formational family, he says, teach diligently, talk purposefully. But ultimately, he says, live consistently. In verse 8 and 9, Moses writes, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on, the, and on your gates. There, there's two sort of couplets happening in these verses. And there's a couple different ways we can read these verses. But I just look at it this way. Moses says that the law of God, obeying God, loving God, must be on the forefront of our hands, what we do, even as it's on the forefront of our heads, what we think. That what we think and what we do should match consistency. And Moses says that the law should be mounted on the doorposts of our homes. I grew up just outside New York City in a Jewish community. And uh, I'm going to forget the word. Mezuzahs. Mezuzahs. Mezuzah. I got it right. The mezuzahs, the little Torah boxes, were nailed to the front doors of all my friends' homes, right? And they were filled with the inscription of Deuteronomy chapter 6 inside. But anyway... We don't literally post the mezuzahs on our doorposts, but Moses says that the law should be on the doorposts of your home, right? It should infiltrate your private life. But likewise, it should be hammered to the doorposts of your gates, your public life, 
Again, consistency, that what you say at home and what you do in the world around you should match. And the reason why I think Moses says so strongly that we must live consistently is because our kids are always watching. Years ago, I was part of a fantasy football league. If you don't know what a fantasy football league, you're not missing anything. I've given up fantasy football a long time ago. But I was in a league for many years with some guys here at the chapel. And uh, it was draft night. We had to pick our fantasy football teams. And so I invited everybody over to the house. I said, guys, I'll have pizza. I'll have wings. I'll have lots of good football food. Bring something to connect to the Internet and bring any drinks that you want. But I've just got food at my house. And so the guys assembled in my living room and we all connected to the internet and we're, we're, we're uh, drafting our, our football players for that year's draft. And my sons are there and watching and they're trying to make sure I pick lots of New York's Giants players because thank the Lord they're all New York Giants fans. And, um, and we're doing the draft and all of a sudden one of my kids who was probably nine or 10 at the time turns to my friend We'll call him Joe for the sake of the story. And says, Mr. Joe. And my friend Joe says, yeah. And my son says, you just drank your fourth beer. And I looked at my friend who kind of looked at me. Why is your kid counting how many beers I'm having? (laughs) And he turned to my son. He said, yeah, I think you're right. And my son turned to him and said, aren't you driving home after this? Joe and I are still good friends. But, uh, <laughs> but what I really took from that moment was, man, my kids are watching every move that I'm making. And they're watching every move that my friends are making. They are watching everything I do. And so Moses' call is that we live consistently That what we say and what we do, what we profess in the home and what we live in the public sphere, that they match because our kids are watching. And I want to say this. I'm really grateful that my kids get to watch this community. You know, one of our values in our home is that we come to church. And so my kids watch all of you. They watch you. They watch what happens at church and they come home and they say things like, why do we have an agape offering and how much goes into it and what do we do with it? They say things like, dad, I heard in church today that we're supporting Afghan refugees. Why do we do that? Or they say, dad, we have all this coffee and in student ministries events, we've got all this food. Who pays for all of that? Or when they invite their friends on a, on a winter retreat who can't afford it, they say, why is there scholarship money available? That's us living out our faith consistently. That's you living out your faiths consistently in your generosity. And my family watches. My boys watch. And boy, am I grateful. Because, man, kids are always watching And actually, that's one of the scariest things for me. Every Christmas, Susie's brothers and their family fly in from Boston. So uh, my wife's last maiden name is Streb, S-T-R-E-B, and the Streb family is all about fun. I married into the right family. 
There's always a game happening. It could be a card game, a board game. Uh, my father-in-law built a badminton, a regulation badminton court in his backyard. We've got a ping pong table in his garage. And so when the whole family gathers, there's always a competition happening. There's always a game being played. And uh, my father-in-law set up a ping pong tournament for the Christmas vacation. It's a heated battle. And my father-in-law's ping pong table is is really old and made out of plywood. So it actually is better for me because Susie's brothers are really good and play on a, a, a normal table, but this table makes it so they're not as good and I can beat them. So I get very excited and it gets very competitive, but I was watching one of my sons in particular. He was smack talking and talking trash and he actually was uh, a bad loser and a bad winner. And at one point I just blurted out, you've got to be less competitive. And my brother-in-law turned to me and said, he is really competitive. And I said, yeah, I know. And he goes, not as competitive as you, Rich. (laughs) When Moses says live consistently, it's both an exciting challenge and also one of the scariest things I can see in scripture because you know what? I don't do it well. What I do does not always match what I say. What I ask my boys to do does not always match what I do. And I find that this challenge from Moses to teach diligently and talk purposefully and live consistently, it's this exciting challenge, but it's also this scary, humbling reality because it reminds me how short I can fall in this. And so I scour these verses for some hope and you don't have to go far to find it. In fact, it was just there in verse 9. Did you catch it? It said, you shall write these things on your doorposts and on your house and on your gates. Did the word doorposts jump out to anybody? If you were hearing Moses say this, If you were the people of Israel and you just gathered and heard Moses say, put the law on the doorposts of your home, you know what these Israelites would remember? They would go back in time to to 40 years ago when they were in in Egypt, right? In this time in Egypt where they were slaves, where they were crying out to God for rescue. And when Moses came to deliver them, God used Moses to bring 10 plagues on the nation, on, on Egypt, These plagues uh, got worse and worse. And by the 10th one, it was the plague of death that at night the, the angel of death would come and kill the firstborn of all there in Egypt, of the Egyptians, of the Israelites, even of the cattle in the field. God said it would be a night of mourning and, and wailing. But God took the people of Israel aside and said, I need you to do something. I need you to go get a lamb. And I need you to prepare that lamb. And I need you to feast on that lamb. And when you kill that lamb so then you can eat it, I need you to take the blood of that lamb and put it where? On your doorposts. And when the angel of death comes, it will pass over you. And not because they were a faithful family, not because of something perfect they had done or something they had earned or anything like that, but because God's grace of the blood of the lamb had been smeared on their doorposts, death would pass over them. 
When I read Deuteronomy 6, I have to be continually reminded that before God put the law on the doorpost, he smothered it with his grace. And when Jesus came, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, there is the spotless lamb of God. Because we can't always teach diligently. We can't always talk purposefully. We can't even always live consistently. But Jesus' grace covers it all. Jesus' grace goes on the doorposts before the law. And when we recognize that, then obeying God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength becomes no longer a burden, but a great joy because we know that our God has rescued us and saved us so that we can be a faithful family that becomes a formational family. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.